guys, we are going to um, continue our series. If this is your first, first time in the last few weeks, this is our, the series we're doing called Some Assembly Required. I think pretty much everyone's been here. Um, maybe some new faces. Lily's here. And Katie's parents are here. Good to see you guys. Welcome, welcome. Um, so the idea behind this is not that complicated. It's basically Ikea furniture, right? The, the Ikea furniture of the spiritual realm, which is things that God built and designed and crafted and then gave to us to actually like implement and put together, which is a lot easier said than done. Um, we looked at, the first one we looked at was community and how God designed the idea of like a spiritual family and a community and a, the church. And then he gave it to people and said, now you have to do it. Like, I did pretty much all the work, but you have to continue this thing going. And so we have to learn how to be a part of a community. Last week we looked at communion, which is more of the intimate relationship between us and God. And we just talked about how do we, how do we cultivate good relationships with people? It's based on communion. It's based on knowing them and experiencing them. And so it was very simple. We just talked about praying, reading our Bible, and worshiping. And today, we're going to look at um, something that, uh, I'll be honest, it's, it, it, can, it could be seen as a very controversial sermon. I, I hope it's not. But we're going to look at the idea of justice. Now here's the thing, guys. Words have meanings. Meanings have baggage. And just like seeing that word up on the screen like, probably did something in your heart and in your brain. And you probably have your own like working definition of what justice is. But I just want us to know that justice existed before you. Justice in the form of God's mind and, and God's creative power developed this idea of justice. It's a part of his character. And that predates you. It predates me. It predates whatever issue you might like be on one side or the other of. It predates our country and it predates the world. Justice was here before any of us. It'll be here long after us. The most important thing, I think, is to understand when God says justice, what does he mean? Because we can say justice and mean something. And, you, and, and I'm telling you, even in this room, we could have different definitions of the word justice. And that's fine. Uh, from a worldly standpoint, but from a spiritual standpoint, I want us to try to learn, well, what does God mean when God says justice? And so, he, he built it, we have to start, assemble it, but we can't even assemble it until we learn what it is. And so, today is going to be, really, is going to be a lesson on a bunch of Old Testament scriptures to try to get at the heart of God about the idea of justice. But I have an analogy to start with. I want to talk about whales. <laughs> whales are so interesting. Let's just wrap our brain around this, okay, guys? It is an animal that lives in the water, but it breathes air. A whale lives in the water, but it doesn't breathe the water. It breathes air, but it doesn't live in the air. If a whale said... I don't like this back and forth thing. I'm going to just start breathing water. That whale dies. 
If a whale says, I hate this back and forth thing, I'm just going to go live on the land. That whale dies. God is weird in, the, in his sense of humor when he created this animal that requires two very different environments to survive. And I, I think of the whale when I think of us as Christians. When you draw this parallel and extrapolate this over and over, like, man, we are children of the light, and yet we live in darkness, surrounded by it. We live in the world, and yet we breathe kingdom. We are surrounded by injustice, and yet God wants us to be breathers of justice. And so we are the whale. And we could easily say, well, I just want to like, go all in on one because I don't like the, the tension of this existence. And God's like, too bad. This is the life in the kingdom is this tension between these two worlds. You're going to be in the world and yet you need to be, live here as strangers and aliens and, and be ambassadors of the kingdom. And so... Can we, can we be whales? Can we live in the darkness and yet breathe light out to, to people? And so, and you might be like, I don't like that tension. And it's, it's illustrated in a very interesting way in the Old Testament. I want to show you. In Deuteronomy 15, it's a larger chunk, but I have these two, these two verses. There's commands about how to treat the poor. And the goal right at the beginning is, There should be no poor among you. Here's some rules, because I'm going to bless you. Here's some rules to live by so that there will be no poor among you. And then you get down to the end, and God says, there will never cease to be poor among you. And this is like the life of a a whale. (laughs) That we are going to be surrounded by poverty and needs and and oppression, and yet we need to live as though we're trying to bring the kingdom into this world. And so it's easy to kind of go back and forth. You could look around, and, and I've, I've had people quote the, the second part of this scripture to me as a reason why we don't really have to help the poor. The poor will always be there. The poor will always be among you, bro. Like, that's why, you know, we can't do anything about it. I'm like, you should go back and read that verse because there's a lot that God says for them to do about it. But if we see that and we go, there's nothing I can do, that's like the equivalent of the, the whale trying to breathe water. Like, I'm just going to embrace the, uh, the, the darkness. This is, this, is, this is just the way it is, so I'm going to just suck it up. And that whale dies. And I believe that if a Christian develops that mentality of like, well, there's nothing we can do about it, so why even try? That Christian can die spiritually. The alternative, though, is where we insulate ourselves. And we're like, oh, well, if I never, if I only surround myself with people that are doing well and we kind of leave society, lots of like monastic traditions over the years have done this. Like, well, let's just go and start a little commune out in the desert and we'll be cool. And we won't see any problems because there's no one out there. And that's like the whale trying to live on the land. And that whale dies too. And so I have to, I just have to help us accept that there's a certain amount of tension of of the life of a disciple. That you're going to see injustice and you're going to have to say, I wonder what God wants me to do in this situation. Okay. 
Next week, uh, we're going to talk about uh, evangelism and how God develops that and then gave it to us to do. Uh, But today, we're going to talk about justice. So let's jump right into it. This will be a little bit of difference. We're going to look at Old Testament laws. We're going to look at a lot of uh, a lot of scripture, a lot of uh, the rules that God gave to the Israelites. They're going to fall into three main categories. We're going to look at three words today. They're going to go through laws of Moses and put them into these categories. And I think what you'll find is that when you hear the word justice, you usually have and a definition or an idea of what that means, but it's usually only a part of God's justice. And so what I want to do is kind of present this like much fuller, richer picture of what justice looks like. My hope is that we can see God a little clearer, which is always good, respect the word of God, live in submission to the scriptures, and think of ways that we can be like that whale, where even though we're surrounded by injustice, we can breathe justice into the world. So here are the three, here are the three words we're going to use. They're gray. They're, we're going to light them up, okay? These, these mean nothing to you right now, okay? It's all right. We're going we're gonna to build here. These three words. Uh, the first word is pakad. And this is, the, this is the idea of punishment. This is retribution. This is you did something wrong, you got to deal with the consequences. This is crimes. When we see in the Old Testament, this is like, you know, if you do this, you are going to be punished for this. And the classic scripture that we think of all the time is eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. Like, you do this, here's the retribution. Many times, and sometimes this, this really like throws people off on the Old Testament, Many times, the, the punishments are harsh. Sometimes the punishments are death. Banishment is another one. And to us, in our modern sensibilities, this seems very unpalatable. I'm just going to be very honest. But I need to start here because I believe that this is part of the nature of God and we have to, we can't reduce God to a, a version of himself that Oh, he doesn't punish people. Punishment's not, that's not the God I serve. I think there are things that God takes seriously enough that require pakad. And we see that in the Old Testament. So you cannot do a, a study of Old Testament laws without this category. There are, there, are, there are crimes in the Bible that require a severe punishment. And some of us, this is like, yeah, when I think of justice, this is what I think. I think of, you do the crime, do the time. No, no mercy. Like, just, what, what, what does the law say? Do it. Punish him. And when we think of justice, our definition of justice, this is kind of, it can be this only. And maybe some of you are like, not me. Hmm? Some of us. We need to explore this. this. This is in us, and this is okay. This is, I believe this is part of God's character. Now, is God patient in his punishment? Yes. Throughout the scripture. There's so many times, read the prophets, where he says, punishment is coming. I will not relent. And they cry out, please help. 
And so we have to be careful. As we'll see, uh, we have to be careful that we, we could reduce God to be like, well, Jesus came and negated this, and now there's none of this in God anymore. I'm like, mm, that's a little simplistic. In Jesus' time, he felt like justice had been reduced to only this. And so you'll see him talk in a slightly different language. But it can, that, that can be tricky for us because then we can think, well, then Jesus never doesn't think this way at all. We have to be careful of that. But I don't want us to make the same mistake that the Pharisees and the Sadducees made where this becomes the only version of justice. The problem is, as we're going to see, the, the full picture of justice is very complicated and it's rich and full and it's e- not easy for us to wrap our brains around. And so we have to start here. Picard is retribution, is punishment. The next word I want to look at is mishpat. This is a very important word all throughout the Old Testament. This is, a, this is like a restoration or a restorative justice, people will say. This is where we try to make things right in the world. Even if it goes against some of like Picard. I have a, there's a great book by Richard Foster. I want to read a, a bit of it. If any Richard Foster fans out there. He has this book called Streams of Living Water. And he talks about uh, Mishpat. I love this. It says, technically, mishpat means justice. But it is an expansive word, rich in meaning, carrying social, ethical, and religious connotations. It involves a morality over and above strict legal justice. It includes observance of good custom and established practice, especially the practice of an equitable distribution of land. It is used so constantly in conjunction with the Hebrew word for righteousness that the biblical scholar Volkmar, Volkmar Herntrick believes the two concepts should be viewed as virtually synonymous. And I would, I would encourage you to try that. When you read the Bible and you see the word righteousness, swap out the word justice and just see, oh, that's an interesting aspect. We are told that God executes justice, mishpat, for the orphan and the widow and loves the strangers, providing them food and clothing in Deuteronomy 10. And again, the psalmist declared, the Lord works vindication and justice, mishpat, for all who are oppressed, Psalms 103. This justice involved the wisdom to bring equitable, harmonious relationships between people. When Solomon prayed for the wisdom to govern the people justly, God responded, you have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right or how to do mishpat how to lead justly. I love this. I would encourage you, check out Streams of Living Water by Richard Foster. It's a great book. We're going we're gonna to quote it again here in a little bit. But here's Mishpat. So in Isaiah, the famous scripture, to loose the, the, the bonds or the chains. That's why we sang Break Every Chain. Loose the bonds of injustice in Isaiah. Now, there are some examples of Old Testament laws that are not crimes. And this is hard for us to sometimes wrap our head around. But throughout the Old Testament, God takes very seriously, how are you taking care of people? And he makes laws around those things. 
And that is called mishpat. And it's just translated in most English Bibles as justice. But like care for the orphan, care for the widow, care for the foreigner, care for the poor. And there's lots of laws. Things like, uh, hey, you're not allowed to defraud people. If you're a merchant, you need to have honest scales. You can't, you can't cheat people like this. Uh, the year of the Jubilee is where, hey, you're just going to release all debt. You, if someone owes you money, not anymore, they don't. Let it go. Lauren's like, come on, when's my student loans going to be? <laughs> uh, and then the weird one, I know maybe some of us, sanctuary cities is kind of a trigger word, but in, it's, it's biblical in the sense that if you accidentally, like, the way it's described in the Bible is if you're working in the field with someone and your axe head comes off and, like, lands in some dude's skull, and you, you committed manslaughter, you killed someone, but it wasn't intentional, you didn't murder them. They, they said, you have to set up these cities so that you can flee there and his family won't chase you and, and kill you. Uh, it's very interesting, but it's all designed around this thing. Like, like, we need to give people a way to make things right in our community. Some of these laws are interesting and goofy and, and just random laws. But uh, we, would, we would, honestly, we would consider some of these like government regulations, like government overreach. You can't tell me what to do. And I get it, but that's exactly what the Old Testament did. There was a, 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 like an early building code. If you built a house and it had a flat roof and you planned on going up onto the roof, there was a law in the Old Testament about how you had to build a little wall around the edge of your roof so people, it wouldn't be dangerous, so people would come up and be safe on your roof. And if you didn't build a wall and someone went up on your roof and fell off, you're responsible for that. Death or, her, or harm, whatever happened to them. There was laws about if, uh, if, a, if a, someone who's a, a servant or a slave runs away and comes to you, don't return them to their master. This is in the Bible. The Israelites were not allowed to charge interest on loans to each other. Now they did say you could charge interest to a foreigner, but... But to each other, you cannot draw interest. You can't charge interest. It's uh, exploitive. And this is all these laws that are part of the Old Testament law, but they're not crimes the way the Pakad was. Like, like these are like punishable crimes that you have to put them out. And so this is mishpat. But this is the word that we translate as justice. And so as Christians. Obviously, I don't need to dance around a bunch of fine print. Like, we're not under the Old Testament covenant. I get that. But do we have the heart of God in that we want to take care of people? Something, something for us to consider. Now, there's another word, which is, like, some of these laws, some of the laws that are kind of in the category of mishpat, God goes a step further and says why you should do them. Not just do them, but he says Why? And he adds a little clarification to some of these laws where he says, do them to take care of people or to show mercy to people or have compassion on people. And that word is hesed. Hesed is compassion. When we see in Hosea, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, that's hesed. And it's, this is tricky for us as modern, especially as Americans, because if you say, hey, bro, like, 
we can't legislate morality. I get that. I totally get that. It's hard for us to say, here's what you have to do, and here's why, here's the way your heart should be. Like, we can't do that. And honestly, I see all of this as demonstration that you can't solve all the world's problems through, like, governments. Because we, we can't do this well. We can't say, hey, pay your taxes, and then when you come and pay your taxes, we're going to have you sit down and, like, check, make sure your heart's right about it. Like, no, just take my taxes and I'll hate you for it, and then we'll just go our separate ways. Like, but that's our mentality. Like, I don't, if you make me do something, I'll do it, but I, you don't, I don't have to have the right heart about it. Whereas in the Old Testament, that's not the case. God wanted them to have the right heart about why they did the things they did. Hesed is the compassion. I have another quote from Richard Foster. Same book. Hesed holds before us the great theme of compassion. It is a word so laden with meaning that translators struggle to find an English equivalent, often rendering it as loving kindness or steadfast love. It is a word most frequently used in reference to God's unwavering compassion for his people. God's wonderful hesed love is from everlasting to everlasting, declared the psalmist. It is a steadfast love that endures forever. But the great challenge for us is that this covenant love, this durable mercy that is so central to the character of God, is to be reflected in us as well. Through Hosea the prophet, God declares, I desire hesed, not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Sprinkled throughout the Hebrew scriptures are grace-filled laws of compassion, hesed. So if we're, looking at, if we're looking at Old Testament laws, we also have to look at the laws that fall into this category of, yeah, you got to do this, but you got to do it with the right heart. So what are some examples of that? Hesed. It's the heart behind Mishpat, honestly. It's the motivation for Mishpat. It's the why. God gives a command, a law, and then adds on a reason. Usually compassion for the poor. Some of the laws are literally trying to legislate morality. So like, there are harvesting rules. We've talked about this. Harvesting rules where God says, if you have a field and you go to harvest it, you can't harvest to the edges because that's to be left for the poor. If you drop something, you can't pick it up. That's not yours anymore. You dropped it. Now it's the poor. So, so the poor in the land was, in God's eyes, was fully allowed to come onto your private property and like chill in your fields and eat your stuff. You can't go over it a second time and harvest it. Uh, there's, there's laws about how you, if you loan some, someone money, remember you can't charge interest, but you can take a pledge. So if, if Steve was, if I was like, hey Steve, can I borrow your car? And he could say, within the law, well, can I hold something of yours? He didn't, he doesn't have to, but it's within his right to say, could I hold something of yours? So, and you'll get this back when you bring my car back. Now, I have nothing that is worth as much as Steve's car. So I don't know what he would want of me, but there were laws about how you made a pledge. So if, if uh, John comes over and says, hey, 
can I borrow this book? And I say, yeah, what do you give me for it? So I you know, make sure I get my book back. There's rules about how that interaction is supposed to go down. For instance, the most important ones were that if John is poor, there are things that I'm not allowed to take from him. I can't take his coat or his cloak from him. And it says this. You can't take a poor person's cloak in a pledge because they will need that. A widow, don't do it. You can't take certain things as a pledge from a widow because they will need that. And you'll be tempted to keep it until they bring it. What if they never bring bring that back? Are they going to freeze that night? A millstone, which was someone's, sometimes someone's livelihood, can't take it as a pledge. Because you have to look at them and say, well, they need that. So you're elevating this person out of just a transaction where, you know, you're not the bank. You're their, you're their family member. They're part of the community, and so we have to treat people differently. And so taking pledges property... For, oh, here's another one. If someone borrows something from you, you go to their house to get it back, you can't go inside their house. You can't barge in and demand it. You have to stand outside and wait for them because it's disrespectful. Now imagine us trying to pass laws that are like this. It would be silly. It would never work. We would never be able to do that kind of thing. And yet this is, what, this is part of the Old Testament law. This is part of God's justice. Now, does it negate Picard? Nope. That is still part of God's justice. But Mishpat and Hesed are also. Uh, prompt payment of wages. I forgot to, to, to touch on that one. If, if you are a, a landowner and you hire workers to come in the field, um, if someone is a foreigner or poor and they're coming to work for you, you can't delay paying them. This is Jesus' parable about how they paid the workers at the end of the day. That was, that was law. That was part of Mishpat with the heart of Hesed. Like, they're poor. I can't exploit them. I need to pay them when they work for me. This is, this is part of Old Testament law. And then don't muzzle the ox is just a funny one. It's like, man, if you've got, a, if you've got an ox and he's like helping you plow the field, like let it, if he finds a little bit of grass, let him eat it. Don't, don't muzzle him. Don't beat him for it. Let him eat. And so it's this heart of compassion. I wanted to read you something from Deuteronomy 24. Uh... Deuteronomy 24, this goes back to the loan stuff. When you make a loan of any kind to your neighbor, do not go into their house to get what is offered to you as a pledge. Stay outside. Let the neighbor to whom you are making the loan bring the pledge out to you. If the neighbor is poor, do not go to sleep with their pledge in your possession. Return their cloak by sunset so that your neighbor may sleep in it. Then they will thank you, and it will be regarded as a righteous act in the sight of the Lord your God. Do not take advantage of a hired worker who is poor and needy, whether that worker is a fellow Israelite or a foreigner residing in one of your towns. Pay them their wages each day before the sun sets, because they are poor and are counting on it. Otherwise, they may cry out to the Lord against you, and you will be guilty of sin. That is a law. That is Old Testament law. God is like, I need you to think about each other and care about each other. So here are the three. Here are the three. And there are more. 
We just don't have, we just don't have time to turn this into a whole thing. There are, here are three aspects of God's justice. And I refuse to throw away the idea that God has punishment in his heart. I, I believe that. But there's also God wants to care and restore and make things right. And God also wants us to have a heart where we care about each other. Here are three warnings about the way we interpret justice, okay? And if I, if I get you a little bit, just let, let it happen, people. <laughs> One, you can reduce justice just down to punishment. We can have this idea that justice equals getting what's mine, doing what's right, payback, eye for an eye. And you get annoyed at the very idea of restorative or compassionate justice. And I just want to be very clear. I'm not up here as some sort of like activist or anything like that. I take the scriptures very seriously. But you can reduce justice just down to punishment. And then live in that truth and moving forward, ignoring the others. And it's dangerous. That's a warning. On the other side, though, you can reduce justice just down to mishpat. Just down to social justice, as, as the way it's defined. This is justice, and this alone. You reduce God in a way that assumes he has no punishment in his character. And you care more about helping others even than sometimes our own personal righteousness. I have witnessed people who see themselves as a fighter trying to free everyone and yet remain a slave to their own sin. And it's dangerous. Or we can, warning number three, we can reduce justice down just to laws in our legal system with no need for compassion. And we miss that God's desire was to cultivate mercy in the hearts of people. And so we can start to think almost like this utopian, if we just pass the right laws, everything will be good. When that's not going to happen. Every Christian needs to learn how to feel compassion for and show mercy to the people around them. And so, I just want us to, to think about these three aspects of God's justice. Now, here's, here's what I'm going to say about it. God's justice is so rich and so full and so different than you and me that it regularly produces confusion, anxiety, and disputes in the community. Because we all have like our own little sub, subset definition of justice. And we align and we draw lines between us. And it's hard. It's hard to think about justice the way God thinks about justice. And so it regularly produces problems in the community. All the way back to Moses, all the way through Jesus, people were arguing over the interpretation of these scriptures. 
How do we put this into practice? And then after a certain amount of time, a prophet comes and says, hey, you guys need to get back on track because you are doing it way wrong. We're not going to solve anything until we can see each other, love each other, and talk to each other. I'm certain that there's someone in this room that views justice slightly different or maybe a lot different than you do. One of the ways that we do the work of community is by having those conversations. And so I want to end with a a scripture. In uh, Micah, Micah is an interesting book. Prophet Micah comes forward and says, Hey guys, God has a lot of problems with you right now. Nation of Israel. And Samaria and Jerusalem specifically. But he pronounces curses on Israel. And he says, This is all the things that you are doing wrong. And what's funny is, they are about not doing mishpat. He specifically calls out ill-gotten gain, dishonest scales, oppressing the poor. And that's going to bring pakad. That's going to bring punishment on the nation of Israel. And so, in this weird rhetorical kind of way, Micah says, he's the voice of God, he also says, I know this is what you're thinking right now, and this is a scripture. In Micah 6, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? They are terrified of his pakad. They're terrified of his punishment. Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression? The fruit of my body for the sin of my soul. This is them saying, what do I have to do to to relinquish God's punishment? Because Micah said, oh, it's coming, people. You have gotten on the wrong side of God, and this is part of God's justice, and now it's aimed at you. And they said, what do I, like literally, firstborn? But it's, it's like extravagant language. Like, what do I have to do to relinquish God's punishment? And this is what Micah says in the next verse. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, mishpat. To love mercy, hesed. And to walk humbly with your God. And what I love about this is Israel is deserving of God's wrath, God's retribution, God's punishment, which is part of his justice. And the prophet reminded them that they should be practicing the other parts of God's justice. Now, Jacob's going to come up and do communion, but I just want to end with this. This is what's awesome about Jesus, is that is that we were deserving of God's punishment. We were fully earned the pakad, the wrath, the, the retribution. But he came as the sacrifice to atone for that. And then he spent his life saying this. Love people. Look out for people. Care about people. Have compassion. 
He delivered us from the pakad that our sins deserved, and in return, he asked us to live lives of mishpat and hesed. So guys, that is justice, and there's a lot to it. I hope we have lots of conversations about this. That we're not afraid to have conversations about it. I want you to share, what are you, which way does your kind of brain go? Which way is your DNA wired? And then what's hard for you? Which one are you not good at? And then be able to have those things. And know that as Christians, it is our duty to live out God's justice. The full justice. Including the restorative and compassionate justice. We have to remember that God, His justice is rooted in His character, which is marked by patient punishment, yes, but also radical generosity. Life-changing, restorative mercy. And God shows us the perfect example of this in Jesus. Amen. And with that, Jacob Wilhelm is going to bring our, our communion. Come on up, Jacob.